0: You're listening to the JTD Coaches Me podcast with your host, Joanne Tierney Daniels. Tune in as Joanne chronicles her journey from imposter to empowerment. Joanne discusses real life with real people. You'll be captivated by her guests and their stories. Regardless of whether you leave laughing or crying, one thing is certain. Each episode will make you think about life from a different perspective, Listen in and join the journey as Joanne and her guests explore the best strategies to promote personal growth, find your authentic self, and live your best life.
1: Hi, I'm Joanne Tierney-Daniels, a health mindset and wellness coach and the host of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. September 11, 2021 will mark the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. It was a pivotal moment in our nation's history and had an impact across the globe. In honor and remembrance of the 9-11 victims, their families, and the first responders assigned to that day following the attacks, I will be releasing several podcast episodes in August highlighting various individuals with intimate ties to the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil. In last week's episode, I told the audience about the phone call I received from my husband on the morning of September 11th. He was calling to tell me that a small commuter plane crashed into the North Tower, but I didn't tell the whole story that day. My husband is a structural steel superintendent by trade, but in his heart, he's a union ironworker. We only spoke briefly. From the job site that morning, the crew could see the wreckage and plume of smoke. Although it wasn't clear what happened yet, the entire construction site was caught up in the bewilderment and chaos. He was in a rush. He wanted to be part of the conversation. His last words as he hung up the phone were, Me and the guys are going to WTC to see how we can help. When the news came out that a second plane hit the South Tower, I immediately tried to call him back to tell him to stay put. But the lines were jammed. Cell towers were destroyed in the attacks and traffic surged as people were trying to find out if their loved ones were okay. I tried to reach him countless times without success. When news of Flight 93 was broadcast, I walked into the adjoining executive suite where a television was on. I couldn't tear myself away from the TV. I was scanning the crowd, looking for a glimpse of my husband. As the South Tower collapsed, tears began streaming down my face. I envisioned him in the wreckage as the North Tower came down. 20 minutes later, a colleague came to tell me my husband was on the phone. He was alive and trying to get out of the city. A three-hour drive took 15 hours. Many bridges were closed, and there were thousands of vehicles and pedestrians trying to flee the devastation. I sat in front of the television, distraught and horrified by what I saw. I was an outsider looking in. My guest today, John Lynch, was an insider looking in. John was sitting in front of a television watching the events at the World Trade Center unfold too. At the time, he was a 13-year-old boy and was watching from his classroom. As he watched, he announced that his father worked there. John's father, Robert Henry Lynch Jr., was the property manager at Two World Trade Center. After leaving a message that he was okay, Robert re-entered the building to help save others, and sadly, he selflessly lost his life in the process. I can't do John's story justice, so I'm going to bring him into the conversation. Please join me in welcoming him. Hi, John. Hi, Joanne. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. It's a beautiful day. It is. So tell the listeners, introduce yourself. I touched a little bit on it, and that's just one event. It certainly doesn't define who you are. Introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit more about you.
2: Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me on. My name is Jonathan Lynch. I grew up in New Jersey and New York. My father worked for the World Trade Center. After leaving New Jersey, we headed to Pennsylvania, where I met my wife, and my wife and I wanted to make some magic for the Walt Disney Company here in Orlando, Florida, which is what we've been doing for several years now. I used to perform in the shows and parades at Walt Disney World, but due to COVID, some things are a little different right now. So I will be performing on the Jungle Cruise in Adventureland, which is a classic Disney attraction, so much fun, and getting things back to normal.
1: That's like when you. I didn't know where you were going when you said you and your wife wanted to make a little magic. It went in a different... I thought we were going to go in a different direction. So <laughs> thanks for keeping it PG. Now let's hear more about your father. He sounds like an amazing man. I would love to know more about him.
2: Yes, my dad was an amazing man. Like you said, my dad was the property manager of the Two World Trade Center. And something really cool about my dad was he brought me to work a lot as a kid. I did a lot of growing up in those towers. And to this day, I still am not sure what my father ever actually did for work because it was nothing but play. Every time we went there, we had great, great days. We, it was nothing but New York pizza, going to Central Park, catching a Yankees game, exploring the towers, going up to the observation deck. We've must've eaten at every restaurant in the entire place, shopping, you know, the works. And my dad, I thought, well, my dad was very cool. He was super, I always thought my dad's so popular. Everyone knew him. Everyone knows him. We couldn't go more than five feet in the World Trade Center without someone yelling, Hey, Bobby, over here. And like a 20-minute conversation would happen from that. And as a kid, I'm like, wow, my dad's really cool, but I kind of want to go to the game or I want (laughs) to go get that slice of pizza. So everyone knew him, but I still, I'm not sure what he actually did. I've never really seen him work. (laughs) It was just nothing but taking care of the people in the buildings. And that's what he did.
1: That's great. And I think too, you probably tried to make those days fun for you. I resonate with that because when I bring my children to work, it's very similar. And they're like, what do you actually do? My son just asked me that. He had to do a project. And because I work in Homeland Security, and they were speaking about that and COVID, somebody said, doesn't your mom have something to do with it? And he's like, I don't know what my mom does, but they've been to my office many, many times. So that makes me laugh. So in my intro, I touched on your experience in school on 9-11. Tell us what you remember about that day.
2: It was a regular Tuesday. It was super chill, regular day, middle school. And let's be honest, middle school is tough on a regular day. And in Pennsylvania, so, you know, very far from the city, regular day. And I'm heading to art class, and which is a great start of the day. Art class was a double period right at the beginning. And as someone who was not great in school with math and English, I was really good at art, very good at art and lunch and recess. I always said those are my three best subjects. So it was a great day. I love art. Awesome. Working on my projects, everything's going fine. The art teacher from across the hall came running into our room and told the teacher, like something happened. So we all were like, he came in high. He came in really quick. So they flipped the TV on. They used to have big box TVs in all the corners of the classrooms. And at that point, the towers were bleeding smoke. It was just filled. The first plane already hit. So, and the news coverage was, of course, going crazy. And we're watching this. And I mean, some people are still working on their project. And we were just, I mean, you're a 7th grader. You really don't know what's going on. You know, we didn't have the technology and we didn't have Instagram and TikTok and all these things. Like, we just didn't know. It was so hard to process. And we're watching it. And my art teacher is super upset, as is the art teacher from across the hall. And the second plane plows right into the other tower. Like we just watched it happen. And again, the tower's smoke was coming out of it. Like, like I hate this image. It's like engraved in my head forever. And I'm starting to get like really upset. And like everyone else is like kind of all right. You know, everyone's like, I've never been there. Or people are maybe never, we're not even sure where it was really. And uh, I raised my hand and I told my art teacher, I'm like, my dad works there. And he gave me this look like he had no idea what to say. All that came out was like, I hope he's okay. A couple of minutes later, the either it was the main office lady or someone from the main office went on the PA system of the school and like, all teachers, please turn off your TVs. All teachers, please turn off your TVs. Classes will resume as scheduled, you know. So all morning, the whole school's talking about this. And I'm kind of keeping to myself, like, I don't want to panic. I'm not even sure what I saw. I can't even process that. I know my dad's there, but I, like, I know my dad's fine. My dad's totally fine, I'm sure. So we get to lunch. And, and well, in the school, school days, you can have like a really early lunch. You can be having lunch by like 11 o'clock in the morning. And then I get called down to the main office. And then I'm like, all right, now this is not good. Now I start to panic. And it's my mother on the phone. And she's a little frazzled. She's freaking out. And she's like, John, it's all good. It's fine. No worries. Uh, your dad's fine. Don't worry. It's good. I'm coming to get you. It's all good. It's all good. He called. He's fine. I'm coming to get you. And I'm like, okay, all right. So, my mom come gets me from school. And then I find out my dad calls. My dad called that morning. And he said, it ended up on a voice message on the home uh, machine back when Holmes had voice message machines, and we actually still have it on a very small cassette tape. And he called from his cell phone, and he said, he's outside. He's outside. This is bad. This is really, really bad. I'm outside. This is bad. I love you. And I'll call you as soon as I can. And that was the last we heard of my father. So the, the day continued, and we drove to Jersey to my father's house. Joanne, there was not a soul on the road between Pennsylvania and New Jersey, where my father lived, there was not a car, there was nothing. And we got pulled over for speeding. We got pulled over by a cop on September 11th for speeding. We picked up my sister. I'm in the car. My mom yelled at the cop. My sister's bawling her eyes out. My sister's in college at the time. So she kind of was like processing a little bit more. I was not. I was still confused. Why were we going to Jersey? What's going on? My mother yelled at the cop and we just floored it. To my father's house where my entire family was sitting there waiting and that's when i knew something was bad something was not right
1: that's heartbreaking tell me more about your mother everyone wants to talk about your father but your parents were divorced and your father was remarried at the time of his death but despite your parents marital status i presume it was a devastating loss for your mother as well how did she cope with your father's loss
2: we lost so many parents so many amazing people during 9-11 and true heroes of course but then the surviving parent really stepped into the, like, the hero role. And my mom kept us on a, the same routine. She was there for us. like We kept it like, we got to get through this. We have to survive this. And just uh, the best thing I remember was that the routines st- stuck. We still got to school on time. And my sister was in college. And we had to take care of her. And she was a freshman in college. So that was a real hard time. And my mom really, I called us the three musketeers from that point on my mom, my sister, and myself. And we stuck together like glue and we just made it through this.
1: Well, she sounds phenomenal. And that's amazing. I want to talk about grief and loss for a second. The events of September 11th overshadow and intersect with so much of your life story. But when we break it down, it's also about a young boy who lost his father. First, I want to talk about how your father's death impacted your life. And let's talk about how the way he died affected your life. Is it possible to separate the two or have they just become one and the same?
2: It's an everyday thing. Definitely a little bit one and the same. There was, it, it takes, I'm telling you, there's not a day that goes by that I do not think of my father. I always think he's like saying hi in a way, whether it's like a number on the clock or uh, just something he said or something that we enjoyed that we did together. And it took a very long time. Time to like process all of this, like again, I said, I was a middle school boy, and middle school boys are not all there all the time, if you know what I'm saying, so it impacted everything, it impacted everything, and it's something that's so public and something that everyone knows about, and we actually wind up moving school districts because everyone knew what was going on with myself and my sister and my family, and it just had such a huge impact on my life, and I think it like in my wife's book it's where I am today and how I got to be the man that I am. And I try to, I always try to think about like, like what would my dad do? What would my dad think? And I don't know, I'm struggling with words here.
1: I think well, I'm going to I'll interject here and tell you, I know exactly how middle school boys act because I have three sons, one of whom is still in middle school. So yeah. so I know exactly what you're talking about there. But I think that, yeah, it's just really touching to hear you speak about your father and Reef. And I love how you say that there's a remembrance of him every day, because in my heart, I do as a person of faith. And I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I'm spiritual. And I believe that that is true. Okay, so hold on to those. I'm certain it's him. Do you ever wish he just stayed put? He didn't walk back into the building.
2: Yeah, that's not how my dad was. So my dad knew every inch of these buildings. I've gone through them with him, and he was—I guarantee—he was the person that once those firefighters and police arrived on site, there was one person they had to talk to, and it was my father. He knew everything, every floor. And I honestly believe he did not think those buildings would ever come down. He's worked there his entire life, not always in the property management role. He actually worked in the basement of 911. There was a parking garage underneath the World Trade Center. And uh, he had an office down there. And it was bombed. I don't remember back in 19 something, there was a car bombing happened at the World Trade Center. And it took out his entire office.
1: I believe that was 1993, actually.
2: 93. And he was not there that day. And everything in his office was long gone. And he's definitely worked his way up. And I I wish he stayed put, but I know there's people here to this day that are here because of him. So you want to be like, Dad, run, go home, head towards the tunnels, get out of the city, you know. And my dad's a hero. There are people here today that needed to do something. And I'm a spiritual person as well. And I believe that everything happens for a reason. And I miss my father with all my heart. And I wish he was here. And I wish he I want him to I could really have used a lot of help over the years. But he had to save those people. And like I said, everyone knew my father at the World Trade Center. So we can pinpoint his location based on all these people he helped, or who ran past him. Oh, Bobby was here. Oh, I saw him here. He was heading this way. So we have like a full timeline of his morning, an accurate timeline from people who made it out because of him, which is... Really cool, but man, I wish he was here, of course
1: of course that's a great legacy that's a great legacy that he left, and many people don't have that timeline of where they have no idea where their loved one was that day, so at least you have that little bit of comfort I don't even think it's comfort it's i think it's just knowing a little bit of information information goes a long way and, and I don't know if I said this in the beginning, I certainly am sorry for your loss it's such a and the loss of any parent is just enormous. Every year we memorialize the events of September 11th, you know, for the general public who are old enough to remember and personally feel connected to 9-11. It gives us a sense that we're honoring our commitment to never forget, you know, that was our battle cry. But our trauma can't compare to yours. Do you ever get tired of telling your story and reliving that day?
2: Yes and no. I share my story not often, especially when Peyton approached me about this book, and something came over my heart that there's a lot of good here. There's, this is a story that needs to be shared. And there's a lot of things people can gain and like grow from this. And I am all about helping people, especially in a, such a struggling time right now. But it's a lot. It's a lot. And every year, we get hit very hard with this on TV, social media, any news, all the outlets, and we get away. I'm not going to be honest. We turn this all off. You won't see me online or on TV for at least two weeks, right around September 11th and a little bit after. It is so in your face. And we typically get away. We go away and we do something awesome, something really fun to celebrate my dad's life. My dad loved fun, vacations, travel. My dad was a great time. He was a great dad. He was fun to be with. And that's what we think we should do every September 11th to honor him. And That's typically when my nightmares really start back up again. So as a kid growing up in the World Trade Center, the details... And I'm a very like feel, touch kind of learner in school. Anytime there was like a a demonstration, I would understand it more if there was like something hands-on, like a science class. And I remember details of the World Trade Center. And then I have nightmares frequently about them, especially closer to the time, but it happens randomly throughout the year. Remember the the cushion. So the World Trade Center in the lobby had a really awesome bright carpet and it was always taken care of because it was a very, you know, fancy building and it was like this thick cushion carpet. And I can tell you what the carpet felt like in the World Trade Center, which is really random and really odd, or the speed of the elevators. My dad and I would ride the elevator to the observation deck and they were super fast. So right before you got to the observation deck, you would jump on the elevator, and your head would nearly hit the top of the elevator because it would almost like launch you up. And as a small boy, it was fun. And I remember all these things with my dad, but then they all turned to nightmares of being back in the World Trade Center. So it is a struggle for sure. And every year when it comes back, it's... We, I haven't forgotten any day, but it just hits it so hard come August and September. And with the 20th anniversary coming up, you know that's it's a lot. It's heavy stuff.
1: It's heavy stuff. So you spoke about Peyton in the book. Uh, The Rise from the Ashes, which includes stories and insights from many other 9-11 surviving children. What compelled you to participate in the project because it is such heavy stuff? And what's the message that you hope the book will convey to the listeners or the readers?
2: Yeah, it's a lot. And we talked about this actually quite a bit for a long time and trying to figure out if this is something I felt comfortable moving forward with. And we prayed on it. And there's a really great message in this book about overcoming grief and turning tragedy into triumph. And it's there. And I have a hard time reading this book. It's just a lot. So Peyton will actually read it to me out loud, all the chapters she's done. And now she's currently in editing. And we take breaks halfway between every chapter. And especially the wait until you get this book. It is a beautiful book. It is wonderful. It is intense. It is heavy. But man, the growth of the children of 9-11, we're talking 20 years. We're talking a middle school boy to like where we are now. And I'm like, how the heck did I even do that? How the heck is that even possible? And there's other children in this book who've had it a lot harder than me, really went down some wrong paths. And they are kicking butt right now, like helping others in the field of medicine and like all these amazing things. There's so much that a reader is going to get out of this book. If you are going through any hard time, And you don't know where that light at the end of the tunnel is and you're in, you know, this is the bottom of the barrel and I can't get out. You can get out. And this book will show you examples of how people got out of their bottom of the barrel or there was no light at the end of my tunnel and things are doing (laughs) really great.
1: (laughs) You're leading right into my next question. So. Peyton clearly has a thing for you. She speaks about how kind you are, how thoughtful, resilient, and what a great mindset you have. I'm a huge mindset geek and buff. So how were you able to overcome that trauma and turn it into a personal triumph and develop a growth mindset?
2: I think two things. I think, of course, God really... I have not had much of a religious life and finding God really helped. And my wife, 1,010% I believe my father is in heaven and he sent me Peyton. He said, my son is, uh, he's a a little bit of a mess, a lot to handle. There's a lot going on. Someone needs to come and put their arm around him. And it is Peyton. And I thank my dad every day for sending me my wife. And she is the greatest person I know, the most wonderful thing in my life. And she's one of the reasons that I got out of all the mess and all of the craziness. And oh, I think God and Peyton and family and friends, of course.
1: So it's as much a story about grief as it is a love story. And that's Hello. such a touching and multifaceted story. And I know your story doesn't end with grief. Obviously, it ends with love. And it's an inspiring journey about resiliency, gratitude and joy as well. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners? Did we miss anything? Is there any other words of wisdom you want to put out there in the world?
2: Again, every anyone who's going through a hard time, you're one, you're not alone. And you're going to feel alone, you're going to feel attacked, you're going to feel, oh, this always happens to me or I'm never going to get through this or I'm at my rock bottom and there's no going up and everyone says those kind of things. You will. There's an awesome plan, I believe, for everyone. We just don't know what it is. We can't see it, but have faith and lean. Lean on your friends and your family and they will pull you out of that hole or get you out of that barrel and show you the light that's at the end of the tunnel. And like I said, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked when you're going through hard times, depression, anxiety, and you're alone. I would check this book out. That's for sure. Because there's a lot of people who have gone through really hard times and they are doing awesome things. And you're going to be one of those people as well.
1: And we spoke about it last week's episode, but I want to tell the listeners that Peyton's book should be coming out in the next week or two at the end of August. And we're looking forward to that. I'm going to include it in the show notes and keep everybody involved. And a portion of those proceeds goes to Tuesday's Children, an organization that helped you and other children and other families after the tragedy. So I wanted to make sure that the listeners know that as well. Did you want to speak about Tuesday's Children at all before we close? I think that that's an important piece of the story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Tuesday's Children is a wonderful organization. They started off helping all of the, and September eleventh, two thousand one happened on a Tuesday, and that was the birth of Tuesday's Children. All these families, and man, they took care of us like crazy for years and years and years and years. I had a full ride to college. I, my family didn't have to pay a cent. None of my siblings had to pay for school, you know. And man, every Christmas, Toys R Us like showed up at our house with like trucks, like. Man, they really, really took care of these families and they still are still to this day. Any tragedy, anything that's going on, man, they step up and they are there. They're one of the first organizations there to help families out. And we're so thrilled that we were able to donate so much to them and that it's not enough for all the things they've done for us. It's just a very small thank you, but man, they deserve a huge thank you for all the families they've helped, including mine.
1: I love it. So thanks so much. I want to keep in touch and I'm going to continue to follow your journey. I'm going to promote the book. I'm going to get it. And I'm going to make Peyton have everybody sign it that she can. So we expect to, you'll have to learn how to write Joanne in a really fancy penmanship.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you, Joanne. Appreciate your time so much.
0: All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. You can find additional resources and information about Joanne at jtdcoachesme.com. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates and new episodes. You can also follow Joanne on social media under JTD Coaches Me.